Section 20 of Little Journeys to the Homes of Great Lovers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Little Journeys to the Homes of Great Lovers by Albert Hubbard. Section 20. Fenelon and Madame Guillon. Part 2. This first confinement greatly improved my appearance, and in consequence made me more vain, for although I would not have been willing to add art to nature, yet I was very complacent to myself. I was glad to be looked at, and far from avoiding occasions for it, I went to promenades. Rarely, however, and when I was in the streets, I took off my mask from vanity and my gloves to show my hands. Could there be greater silliness? When I had thus been carried away, which happened often enough, I wept inconsolably, but that did not correct me. I also sometimes went to a ball, where I displayed my vanity in dancing. I did not curl my hair, or very little. I did not even put anything on my face, yet I was not the less vain of it. I very seldom looked in the looking-glass in order not to encourage my vanity, and I made a practice of reading books of devotion, such as The Imitation of Jesus Christ and the works of St. Francis de Sales, while my hair was being combed, so that, as I read aloud, the servants profited by it. Moreover, I let myself be dressed as they wished, remaining as they arranged me a thing which saves trouble and material for vanity. I do not know how things were, but people always admired me, and the feelings of my vanity reawakened in everything. If on certain days I wished to look to better advantage, I failed, and the more I neglected myself, the better I looked. It was a great stone of stumbling for me, how many times, O oh my God, have I gone to churches less to pray to you than to be seen there? Other women who were jealous of me maintained that I painted and said so to my confessor, who reproved me for it, although I assured him to the contrary. I often spoke to my own advantage, and I exalted myself with pride while lowering others. I sometimes still told lies, though I used all my effort to free myself from this vice. I never spoke to a man alone, and never took one to my carriage, unless my husband was there. I never gave my hand without precaution, and I never went into the carriages of men. In short, there was no possible measure I did not observe to avoid any ground for my being talked of. So much precaution had I, O oh my God, for a vain point of honour, and I had so little of true honour, which is not to displease you. I went so far in this, and my self-love was so great, that if I had failed in any rule of politeness, I could not sleep at night. Everyone wished to contribute to my diversion, and the outside life was only too agreeable for me. But as to indoors, vexation had so depressed my husband that each day I had to put up with something new, and that very often. 
Sometimes he threatened to throw the supper out of the window, and I told him it would be very unfair to me. I had a good appetite. It will be seen from these frank outpourings of the heart that Madame Guillon was suffering from an overwrought sex nature. Steeped in superstition, hypersthenia, God to her was a man, her lover. Her one thought was to do his will. God is her ideal of all that is strong, powerful, and far-seeing. In her imagination she continually communicates with this all-powerful man. She calls him my love, and occasionally forgetting herself addresses him as sir. She evades her husband and deceives that worthy gentleman into believing she is asleep when she is all the time secretly praying to God. She goes to confession in a kimono. She gets up at daylight to go to Mass, and this Mass, to her heated imagination, is a tryst, and the fact that she can go to Mass and get back safely and find her husband still sleeping adds the sweets of secrecy to her passion. In love the illicit seems the normal. Her children are nothing to her compared to this love, the ratio of a woman's love for her children having a direct relationship to the mother's love for their father. Madame Guillon's regard for her husband is covered by the word duty, but to deceive the man never occurs to her as a fault. She prides herself on being an honest wife. Of course, her children turn from her because she has turned from them. She thinks their ingratitude is a trial and a cross sent to her by God, just as she regards her husband's gout as a calamity for herself, never seemingly thinking of how it affects the gentleman himself. Simple people might say the gout was his affair, not hers, but she does not view it so. In her perverted selfness, all things have relationship to her own ego, and so she is in continual trouble, like a girl whose love is being opposed by parents and kinsmen. A woman in love is the most unreasonable of all created things next to a man. Reason is actually beyond a lover's orbit. This woman has lost the focus of truth, and all things are out of perspective. Every object is twisted and distorted by the one thought that fills her life. Lovers are fools, but nature makes them so. Here is a woman whose elective affinity is a being of her own creation, an airy fairy fiction of the mind. When a living man appears upon the scene, who in degree approximates her ideal of gentleness, strength, and truth, how long, think you, will the citadel of her heart withstand the siege? Or will it be necessary for him to lay siege to her heart at all? Will she not straightway throw the silken net of her personality over him, this personality she affects to despise? and take him captive hand and foot. We shall see. It was after this my husband, having some relief from his continual illness, wished to go to Orléans, and thence to Turenne. On this journey my vanity triumphed to disappear for ever. 
I received many visits and much applause. My God, how clearly I can see the folly of men who let themselves be caught by vain beauty. I hated passion, but, according to the external man, I could not hate that in me which called me into life although according to the interior man i ardently desired to be delivered from it o oh my god you know how this continued combat of nature and of grace made me suffer nature was pleased at public approbation and grace made it feared i felt myself torn asunder and as if separated from myself for i very well felt the injury this universal esteem did me what augmented it was the virtue they believed united with my youth and my appearance o oh my god they did not know that all the virtue was in you alone and in your protection and all the weakness in me i told the confessors of my trouble because i had not my neck entirely covered although i was much better than the other women of my age they assured me that i was dressed very modestly and that there was no harm my internal director told me quite the contrary but i had not the strength to follow him and to dress myself at my age in a manner that would appear extraordinary Besides, the vanity I had furnished me with pretexts which appeared to me the justest possible. Oh, if confessors knew the injury they cause women by these soft complacences, and the evil it produces, they would show a greater severity. For if I had found a single confessor who had told me there was harm in being as I was, I would not have continued in it a single moment but my vanity taking the part of the confessors made me think they were right and my troubles were fanciful that maid of whom i spoke became every day more arrogant and as the devil stirred her up to torment me when she saw that her outcries did not annoy me she thought if she could hinder me from communicating she would cause me the greatest of all annoyances she was quite right, O divine spouse of pure souls, since the only satisfaction of my life was to receive you and to honor you. I suffered a species of languor when I was some days without receiving you. When I was unable, I contented myself with keeping some hours near you, and, in order to have liberty for it, I applied myself to perpetual adoration." This maid knew my affection for the holy sacrament, before which, when I could freely, I passed many hours on my knees. She took care to watch every day she thought I communicated. She came to tell my mother-in-law and my husband, who wanted nothing more to get into a rage with me. There were reprimands which continued the whole day. If any word of justification escaped me, or any vexation at what they said to me, it was ground enough for their saying that I committed sacrilege, and crying out against devotion. If I answered nothing, that increased their bitterness. They said the most stinging things possible to me. 
if I fell ill, which happened often enough, they took the opportunity to come and wrangle with me in my bed, saying it was my communions and my prayers made me ill, as if to receive you, O true source of all good, could cause any ill. As it was, with difficulty, I ordinarily had any time for praying, in order not to disobey my husband who was unwilling i should rise from bed before seven o'clock i bethought me i had only to kneel upon my bed i could not go to mass without the permission of my husband for we were very distant from all kind of churches and as ordinarily he only allowed me on festivals and sundays i could not communicate but on those days however desirous i might be for it unless some priest came to a chapel which was a quarter of a league from our house and let us know of it as the carriage could not be brought out from the courtyard without being heard i could not elude him i made an arrangement with the guardian of the recollet who was a very holy man he pretended to go to say mass for somebody else and sent a monk to inform me it had to be in the early morning that my husband might not know of it and although i had trouble in walking i went a quarter of a league on foot because i dared not have the horses put to the carriage for fear of awaking my husband oh my god what a desire did you not give me to receive you and although my weariness was extreme all that was nothing to me you performed miracles o my lord in order to further my desires for besides that ordinarily on the days i went to hear mass my husband woke later and thus i returned before his awaking how many times have i set out from the house in such threatening weather that the maid i took with me said it would be out of the question for me to go on foot i should be soaked with rain I answered her with my usual confidence, God will assist us, and did I not arrive, O my Lord, without being wedded. No sooner was I in the chapel than the rain fell in torrents. The Mass was no sooner finished than the rain ceased entirely, and gave me time to return to the house, where, immediately upon my arrival, it recommenced with greater violence. The cross I felt most was to see my son revolt against me. I could not see him without dying in grief. When I was in my room with any of my friends, he was sent to listen to what I said, and as the child saw it pleased them, he invented a hundred things to go and tell them. What caused me the most pain was the loss of this child, with whom I had taken extreme trouble." If I surprised him in a lie, which often happened, I dared not reprove him. He told me, My grandmother says you are a greater liar than I. It was eight or nine months after I had the smallpox that Father Lacombe passed by the place of my residence. He came to the house, bringing me a letter from Father Lamothe, who asked me to see him, as he was a friend of his. I had much hesitation whether I should see him, because I feared new acquaintances. However, the fear of offending Father Lamothe led me to do it. This conversation, which was short, made him desire to see me once more. 
I felt the same wish on my side, for I believed he loved God, and I wished everybody to love him. God had already made use of me to win three monks. The eagerness he had to see me again led him to come to our country house, which was only a half-league from the town. Providence made use of a little accident that happened to give me the means of speaking to him. For as my husband, who greatly enjoyed his cleverness, was conversing with him, he felt ill, and having gone into the garden, my husband told me, go look for him, lest anything might have occurred. I went there. This father said he had remarked a concentration and such an extraordinary presence of God on my countenance that, he said to himself, I have never seen a woman like that, and this was what made him desire to see me again. We conversed a little, and you permitted, O oh my God, that I said to him things which opened to him the way of the interior." God bestowed upon him so much grace through this miserable channel that he has since declared to me he went away changed into another man. I preserved a root of esteem for him, for it appeared to me that he would be God's, but I was very far from foreseeing that I should ever go to a place where he would be. Some time after my arrival at Gex, the Bishop of Geneva came to see us, I spoke to him with the impetuosity of the Spirit that guided me. He was so convinced of the Spirit of God in me that he could not refrain from saying so. He was even affected, and touched by it, opened his heart to me about what God desired of him, and how he had been turned aside from fidelity and grace for he is a good prelate, and it is the greatest pity in the world that he is so weak in allowing himself to be led by others. When I have spoken to him, he always entered into what I said, acknowledging that what I said had the character of truth, and this could not be otherwise, since it was the spirit of truth that made me speak to him, without which I was only a stupid creature." But as soon as the people who wished to rule him, and could not endure any good that did not come from themselves, spoke to him, he allowed himself to be influenced against the truth. It is this weakness, joined to some others, which has hindered him from doing all the good in his diocese that otherwise he would have done. After I had spoken to him, he told me that he had it in mind to give me as director Father Lacombe, that he was a man enlightened of God, who understood well the ways of the Spirit, and had a singular gift for calming souls. These are his own words. That he had even told him, the bishop, many things regarding himself, which he knew to be very true, since he felt in himself what the father said to him. I had great joy that the bishop of Geneva gave him to me as director, seeing that thereby the external authority was joined to the grace which seemed already to have given him to me by that union and effusion of supernatural grace. As I was very weak, I could not raise myself in bed without falling into a faint, and I could not remain in bed. 
The sisters neglected me utterly, particularly the one in charge of the housekeeping, who did not give me what was necessary for my life. I had not a shilling to provide for myself, for I had reserved nothing, and the sisters received all the money which came to me from France, a very large sum. Thus I had the advantage of practicing a little poverty, and being in want with those to whom I had given everything. They wrote to Father Lacombe to come and take my confession. He very charitably walked all night, although he had eight long leagues. But he used always to travel so, imitating in this, as in everything else, our Lord Jesus Christ. As soon as he entered the house, without my knowing it, my pains were alleviated. And when he came into my room and blessed me, with his hands on my head, I was perfectly cured, and I evacuated all the water, so that I was able to go to the Mass. The doctors were so surprised that they did not know how to account for my cure, for being Protestants they were unable to recognize a miracle. They said it was madness, that my sickness was in the imagination, and a hundred absurdities, such as might be expected from people otherwise vexed by the knowledge that we had come to withdraw from error those who were willing. A violent cough, however, remained, and those sisters of themselves told me to go to my daughter, and take milk for a fortnight, after which I might return." As soon as I set out, Father Lacombe, who was returning, and was in the same boat, said to me, Let your cough cease. It at once stopped, and although a furious gale came down upon the lake which made me vomit, I coughed no more at all. This storm became so violent that the waves were on the point of capsizing the boat, Father Lacombe made the sign of the cross over the waves, and although the billows became more disturbed, they no longer came near, but broke more than a foot distant from the boat, a fact noticed by the boatmen and those in the boat, who looked upon him as a saint. Thus I arrived at Thonan, at the Ursuline, perfectly cured, so instead of adopting remedies as I had proposed, I entered on a retreat, which I kept up for twelve days. One of the sisters I had brought, who was a very beautiful girl, became connected with an ecclesiastic who had authority in this place. He inspired her from the first with an aversion to me judging well that if she had confidence in me i would not advise her to allow his frequent visits she undertook a retreat i begged her not to enter on it until i was there for it was the time i was making my own this ecclesiastic was very glad to let her make it in order to get entirely into her confidence for it would have served as a pretext for his frequent visits the Bishop of Geneva had assigned Father Lacombe as director of our house, without my asking, so that it came purely from God. I then begged this girl, as Father Lacombe was to conduct the retreat, she would wait for him. As I was already commencing to get an influence over her mind, she yielded to me against her own inclination, which was willing enough to make it under that ecclesiastic 
I began to speak to her of prayer, and to cause her to offer it. Our Lord therein gave her such blessing that this girl, in other respects very discreet, gave herself to God in earnest and with all her heart. The retreat completed the victory. Now, as she apparently recognized that to connect herself with that ecclesiastic was something imperfect, she was more reserved. This much displeased the worthy ecclesiastic, and embittered him against Father Lacombe and me, and this was the source of all the persecutions that befell me. The noise in my room ceased when that commenced. This ecclesiastic, who heard confession in the house, no longer regarded me with a good eye. He began secretly to speak of me with scorn. I knew it, but said nothing to him and did not for that cease confessing to him. There came to see him a certain monk who hated Father Lacombe in consequence of his regularity. They formed an alliance and decided that they must drive me out of the house and make themselves master of it. They set in motion for this purpose all the means they could find, the ecclesiastic, seeing himself supported, no longer kept any bounds. They said that I was stupid, that I had a silly air. They could judge of my mind only by my air, for I hardly spoke to them. This went so far that they made a sermon out of my confession, and it circulated through the whole diocese. They said that some people were so frightfully proud that, in place of confessing gross sins, they confessed only peccadilloes. Then they gave a detail, word for word, of everything I had confessed. I am willing to believe that this worthy priest was accustomed only to the confessions of peasants, for the faults of a person in the state which I was astonished him and made him regard what were really faults in me as fanciful, for otherwise assuredly he would not have acted in such a manner. I still accused myself, however, of a sin of my past life, but this did not content him, and I knew he made a great commotion, because I did not accuse myself of more notable sins. I wrote to Father Lacombe to know if I could confess past sins as present in order to satisfy this worthy man. He told me no, and that I should take great care not to confess them except as past, and that in confession the utmost sincerity was needed. End of section 20 Fenelon and Madame Guillon Part 2